from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 259. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN, Bombas, and FreshBooks. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? Very well. It is the summer of fun. Summer of fun! And summer of fun today brings with us a summer guest. Hi, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Summer Stephen. Summer of fun! There we go. He's been practicing that all day. He's been very excited about how he would say summer I of fun. I have a Batman version, too. Okay. Summer of fun. Yeah. Okay, so this, this has been fun a There's the summer. <laughs> Show me the fun. Okay. Let's, we, no Sorry. one cares about this. Hashtag Snow Talk question comes from Rick. Rick wants to know, how many Macs, active or retired, now abide in the snow zone? Uh, I had to count. It's about 12. Four are active. And one is mildly inactive. And then the rest are archival. There's a couple of laptops that are just floating around that my family isn't using anymore and then i've got a few old macs i've got a um i've got my wife's actually um it's a 512 upgraded to a Ooh. plus and i've got a, a i've got a g4 imac i've got a wow. power mac g4 those are my old ones and a titanium PowerBook g4 i've got that those are my old old uh, macs that i've got in my house but it, nothing comp- compares to the hackett museum in which you are sitting right now i'm sitting in it right now how many computers in here, it's roughly 75 with That's, another 15 or so in the attic. That is horrific. 75? Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like that. There's a lot of laptops up there stacked there up. Is a, there is a like, laptops. There's a yeah. shelf of laptops. It's like four laptops wide and about six high. Yeah. It's a lot of laptops. La- mm-hmm. There will be a link in the show notes if you want to peruse the collection. Well, there. Oh, boy. Well, I put it in the Google Doc. Steve, it's on my hands after that. There you go. Look at that. You have a whole There's collection. no link for my collection it's just around yeah. me in my garage yeah it's cute one no day way. you'll get there jason get there. i don't think other people should aspire to get there <laughs> <laughs> i think it's fine i think there should just be one person yeah. and that could mm-hmm. be you i need to update this picture this picture is old okay actually oh, there's good. the john syracuse museum in his attic but it's uh it doesn't accept visitors it's a closed collection mine mm-hmm. is on Private i don't collection. accept visitors either but mine is on a shelf that's lit so it feels like a museum much more than the attic collection you say you don't accept visitors and yet there's a visitor there right now hello yeah well i'm stuck with this one if you would like to send in a snow talk question just send out a tweet with the hashtag snow talk and it may be included on in a future episode thank you to rick for that great question we have some follow-up so uh, on ask upgrade last week we had a question talking about the uh, odds of marco and john from atp buying the mac pro and the pro display xdr uh, as was i think our plan this ended up being discussed on atp episode 339 mm-hmm. uh, where we gave i mean so me and jason gave our odds and uh, then the guys spoke about them I think, by and large, Casey agrees with both me and you, um, which is it's very a Casey. very Casey thing to do, to agree with everybody, because <laughs> he's so nice like that. Um, but in, in a sense, Marco and Casey both agree with me that John will get the pro display. John, John didn't really seem to answer either way uh, uh-huh. about whether he was gonna what he was going to do with that. Casey agrees that Marco is going to buy everything within the time frame that uh, I specified. Marco says that he's not going to get it. I think Marco is is brainwashing himself. Uh, and John is not... He has said he will not get it on day one and, quote, hasn't decided on the monitor. I think he wants to get that monitor, but... Um, I think the price is is really fighting him because he's such a practical person, which is why I came back to that LG display, even though it's ugly and awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then again, he threw us a curveball where he said maybe he'll just use non-retina displays on a new that's, Mac Pro. That is like is he. Well, I'll just use the display I've got right now. That is that's an untenable situation. Somebody needs to go to his house and take the. I'm not, I was away. thinking about this. I'm not positive he could 
do that easily. I don't know. I don't know exactly what display he has, but if you go back far enough, I mean, we talk about Dongle Town. He would be in like he'd be the engineer on the Dongle train mm-hmm. to make that work. Yeah. I think I think he could make it work. I I just don't. The idea of John, I'm trying to picture John Syracuse sitting in front of a non-retina display, but he could use sidecar. So like if he needs retina, he could just put that mm. on an iPad and use it there and then go Let's back to his saying. non-retina. I, mm. Come on, John. Who are you, who are you kidding? He's going to buy it. I know he's going to get it. Mm-hmm. So thank you to the ATP boys for discussing that. Yes, we're going to be starting our new ATP fan podcast segment perhaps yeah. uh, at a later date. What would we call it, do you think? The ATP fan show. I don't I, know what it would be called. I don't know. ATPFF? ATP fan fiction? Not fan fiction. That's a different thing. I don't know. I bet some of that exists. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to go down that route. I think it would just be ATPFU, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that works. I can do with that. Um, there is a bullet point that, J- that somebody has entered into this document, which says, Stephen, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> well, you and I were talking about the Mac Pro. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about this. Well, I, I don't know. I've talked about this on Mac Powerys or some, how I'm really happy with the iMac Pro. Jason and I have the same computer. Mike, it sounds like you, you may have an iMac Pro in your future at some point. Mm-hmm. Marco is very happy with his iMac Pro and has yeah, said that it's a great he computer. doesn't need more than that. But, yeah. but he's going to get more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there is part of me who... <laughs> It seems like I should have one. Why? Because it's it's like the same reason like John doesn't. What does John do? John is like managing photos and recording yeah, podcasts. John hasn't bought a computer in ten years. Yeah, and I haven't bought one in like a year and a half. <laughs> what are all these like seventy five? A like lot of these are donations. You, yeah. yeah, a lot of these are donations in here. I came to a decision over the last couple of days, Jason. Uh huh. So uh, I think I've mentioned. I don't know if I mentioned this show, but I decided I wanted to get an iMac Pro. Right? Like I wanted to see what Apple did with the Mac Pro. I can see the Mac Pro isn't for me, so I want to upgrade my 2015 iMac to uh, an iMac Pro. And I was going to wait to do that to the end of the year. That was like my plan, right? Like, what if they update, you know, something in the iMac Pro? Maybe I'll leave it to the end of the year after the Mac Pro comes out and then make my purchasing decision. But I had a thought yesterday, which was Catalina. Uh-huh. Now, I don't like to use the most recent version of macOS. If I buy an iMac after Catalina... The iMac that I get will have Catalina on it. Yeah, there's an argument to be made that the current iMac Pro is the most powerful Mac that will ever be able to run 32-bit applications. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it depends on what they do. So it may be that they come with Catalina out of the box, but if there's no hardware revision, it could run Mojave or I think even High Sierra, which is what it came with initially. But there's two asterisks here. One, they could have like a silent revision that makes Catalina required yep or with the t2 stuff they could enforce it there as well well and they could move mojave or high sierra to some sort of untrusted state for t2 max at some point in the future i'm not saying they would do that i think that'd be a bad move but if you don't want to run catalina which is understandable it's not the silliest thing in the world to buy an imac pro before then that's what i'm thinking i'm thinking i might just get it now and then still have an incredibly powerful computer running the previous version of macOS, which is what I prefer to do. What do you think about that? I think it's not a bad point. I I don't think that there is much that they will probably do to the iMac Pro to turn it over. I mean, I thought you were going to say you were worried that the existence of the Mac Pro was going to mean that they just get rid of the iMac Pro. Uh, (laughs) Maybe also that. (laughs) That's another thing. Uh, But like what Stephen's a thing which I agree with, like anything that they do to the iMac Pro, I I probably don't need. Right. Right. Like it's already so much power anyway. Like how much more do I need? It's due for a GPU. 
they can they can move the GPU needle now on it, and they haven't. Maybe that would happen, or maybe it only happened at the high end, and they keep the five thousand dollar model like Jason and I have effectively the same. But either way, you're running what a twenty fourteen five K iMac twenty fifteen twenty fifteen. It's the first five K. That was yeah. twenty fourteen. Well, okay. Well, I'm, I think I'm running okay. the first five K. It would be a huge upgrade for you, mm-hmm. either way. Yeah, that's the, what I'm thinking of doing. Uh, we'll we'll talk. We have a whole segment about the the Mac coming up later, and one of the things we're yeah, going to talk boy. about is where the iMac is going, and that's the only thing that gives me any pause at all is that this the look of the iMac is unchanged for a decade, and at some point they're going to rethink the iMac, and the the questions I have are: Are they going to rethink the regular iMac first? Are they going to bother rethinking the iMac Pro, or is it such a niche product that it'll just stay looking like it is now? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the one thing. It would be a shame to buy a new iMac Pro, and then in three months they come out with the complete, you know, small totally different kind of thing but i i it seems unlikely to me that they would Mm -hmm. do that but you never know jason do you want to talk about uh dead podcast subscriptions yeah well (laughs) we had this we had this uh i think an ask upgrade question about this about two weeks ago i think do you uh when a podcast ends do you remove it from your podcast player and i said i generally do not always but i generally do and there was this idea that we mentioned occasionally something will happen that's a surprise like when you look nice today came back and they just mm-hmm. went into the feed and so if you have a podcast you love especially you can delete all the episodes and keep it around and it's not taking up any space but what if something magical happens and an, an episode after its death an episode is is released i thought it was really funny that in the last week that has happened to me twice um, the Chernobyl, wow. the Chernobyl podcast from HBO, which is really excellent. They did uh, an episode about every episode, all five episodes of the uh, of the series, the HBO miniseries. Um, they dropped a, an, another random, unannounced episode last week. We're talking to Jared Harris, the um, one of the stars of the show. Um, and if you canceled your <laughs> Chernobyl podcast, you didn't get it. And then uh, this morning, Lex Friedman's personal daily podcast your daily lex returned after 927 days of him not posting an episode to his daily personal podcast <laughs> he says he had to update uh, two different things of php in order to get it to actually oh work um he uh but but it was there and i would have uh I, I would not have known had i not heard about it on the internet but uh so, so my lesson, lesson is learned is never unsubscribe never, unsubscribe. never do it no because you never know if that download feed is going to have a fuzzy puppy update in it someday. Maybe, maybe. Never unsubscribe. Surprise! It is Real FM membership time. Uh, we spoke about this last week, uh, but we wanted to say it again because our bonus episode, Dangertown Beatdown, for the crossover with Cortex, which is the text adventure, is now available. So if you become a Real FM member, membership start at $5 a month. You get a lot of wonderful perks, including bonus episodes. Um, if you need to be enticed further... Uh, into why you should become a Relay FM member to get our member specials. There is a animated trailer now uh, of the trailer that we played in the show last week um, of Dangertown Deep Beatdown. Uh, so you should go and check that out and become a Relay FM member. If anybody uh, out there has, we really, really appreciate it. Well, I know that a lot of you have. So thank you so much for uh, deciding to sign up and become a Relay FM member. We really appreciate it. And I hope that you enjoy our uh, wonderful bonus episodes that we have for you. And I can say, I think it's the best text adventure y'all have done yet. Thank you. Thank you. So you can go and check that out. 
And uh, thank you so much. And also as well, we have mentioned this before, we're doing our live show in a couple of days in San Francisco. Uh, we had to do some team selection for that because we ha- we're doing a Family Feud game, which is going to be amazing. Jason's going to be our wonderful host. Uh, we had a team selection, uh, which we did on Twitch, and there is a YouTube video of that as well if you want to see two things. One, who the teams are going to be, and I guess the other is who's actually going to be on stage with us for that event. So uh, we're l- looking forward to seeing a lot of you there in San Francisco in just a couple of days. There, there will be 20 relay fm hosts on stage so i think it's like 20 yeah it's about 2021 something like that Some, so something it's like that big thing big big thing so you can go and check out exactly who uh is going to be there by watching the youtube video or maybe you want to be surprised and you don't want to look that's completely up to you uh should we do a couple of upstream pieces of news yeah. uh we spoke about the uh morning show last week because there was like a mm-hmm. teaser trailer there's a full trailer today real uh, trailer. jason do you agree with me that this is a uh not a comedy show yeah, now? it is, it is not I, I would say it's probably got some humor in it there was in fact a laugh mm-hmm. out moment laugh out loud moment in the trailer but uh yeah this is now now the premise is much clearer to me and this is it yep. feels a little more uh a little more west wing than uh yes than i i thought it was going to be you know what i i thought i remember why a lot of people thought it was uh comedy because steve Carell couldn't stop cracking jokes when he was introduced on stage right so like he was coming on and being jokey joke guy and i think that that made a lot of people think that oh that's what the show's gonna be but it's not we've got serious no. steve which and he's done a bunch of movies like this in the past few yeah. years he beats um, a I uh, think a tv with a crowbar in the trailer <laughs> yep and screams uh-huh. uh, i think this looks really good it does look so. really good mm-hmm uh, I'm I'm genuinely very excited. There, there are people in that show that like who's who I know from other movies and TV shows that I didn't know was going to be in this show. Um, so it's looking, it's shaping up to be, I think something that looks really really interesting. I'm getting more and more, as Tim would say, bullish on the programming mm. uh, that's coming out of of Apple TV Plus. Like that just seems like a genuinely good TV show. Yeah, so I'm I really hope. excited to see what comes out of that. Look forward to see the reviews, but it was uh, it's a good trailer. Good trailer. And, mm-hmm. and this is, I feel like the floodgates are now about to open, right? Like we are yes, perilously close now. to whenever they're going to launch this thing, whether it's in September or October or even November, it is getting close and they're going to have to have a bunch of shows. And we've really, this is the first, what I would call a full trailer. There was like a sneak preview trailer of For All Mankind, but th- it was much more kind of quick cut. Here's what the premise is. This feels like... um the real full disclosure kind of thing. I imagine we'll be seeing a lot more of these uh, in the weeks ahead. So I think the rollout is is starting and presumably we'll get more data about when and how much at the, hopefully at the iPhone event next month. Mm-hmm. CBS and Viacom, they've merged back together again. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they'd split, they're now merging. Uh, why is this important, Jason? Yeah, mostly because... The they split apart in the 2000s, uh, first decade of this century, because they were um, they, they, there was a feeling that they needed to be managed differently. I think there was also maybe a clash of executives. The idea that a traditional broadcast network was going to go its own way, and then the uh, more 
hip uh, cable content was going to skyrocket. Ironically, the reverse happened, which is that the cable company Viacom kind of lost its way and Paramount Pictures, they kind of lost their way. Whereas CBS was managed really well and was very successful as a business and kept growing and has launched a bunch of streaming efforts. And uh, But they always had the same primary ownership control, which was the Sumner Redstone and now his daughter, Sherry. And uh, in this era of these giant companies doing entertainment and, you know, streaming services, and we talk about them on Upstream all the time, this is Disney and NBC Universal and, uh, and Warner Media, which is owned by AT&T. Um, mm-hmm. These are big companies, and the perception was that CBS and Viacom were way too small. So first thing you do is you stick them back together. It's aided by the fact that CBS's longtime CEO, Les Moonves, is out of the picture, and he fought the remerger uh, really hard. With him out of the picture, it's easier to get those two companies put together. And there's an anticipation, I think, in Hollywood that they're going to start um, trying to pick up some other smaller players and kind of merge them together with this feeling that you've got to be bigger in order to compete with the uh, not only the, the big entertainment conglomerates that I mentioned, but of course, obviously, Amazon and Netflix, too. Um, and also, Mindhunter Series 2. This is this is the thing that's in Upstream. I have no idea what this is. What's going on here? here? So Mindhunter Series 2. Mindhunter is a Netflix drama series that is starring Jonathan Groff, Hugh McElhaney, and Anna Torf. It is great. It is about okay. um, it is uh, the executive executive producer is David Fincher, who directs uh, a handful of episodes, um, and it is really great. Season one was excellent. It is. People who are creeped out by like killers, it is about FBI agents trying to figure out like the minds of serial killers. But I would say it's more to use David Fincher movies. It's more like Zodiac than it is like Seven. It's not gross, really, but it is psychological. Uh, It is about uh, really the main characters of these people who are working at the FBI. And it's a true story based on a true story about the creation of the concept of a criminal psychological profile and using that to investigate criminal cases and so it's set in the i think late 70s early 80s um and it's got a very period feel looks great it looks very you know all this old stuff the art direction's amazing anyway um very good show big name creator and season two of mindhunter debuted friday and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to a piece that tim goodman wrote in the hollywood reporter about this because i think it makes an interesting point about netflix making no effort essentially to promote this thing that is a super high profile high profile creator uh looks great spent a lot of money on it and i think it's an interesting data point in what netflix chooses to just not do that is traditionally done they didn't you know, give critics a long advanced look at it for reviews purposes. They didn't really advertise or promote it. Um, a lot of people, the first they heard about it was hearing Tim and I complain about it not being promoted on the podcast we do because uh, I'm sure Netflix's view is that um, if they put it on the Netflix screen on Friday night, you'll watch it. And that's all they need to do. But it is fascinating to think about Netflix in this era where they're about to get a lot of serious competition, taking this content that they spent a lot of money for and then saying, we don't even need to really push it. We just need to put it somewhere and and people will find it. And I'm not sure I entirely believe that because I've run into a lot no. of people who are completely unaware. I, I talked to somebody 
who was saying the other day, who was saying that the first they heard about the second season of a show they liked on Netflix being available was when they read a news article that said that Netflix had canceled the show after two <laughs> seasons. And they didn't even know that that second season had dropped months before. So I thought this was a great example. Like, how much more high profile can a Netflix show be than Mindhunter with David Fincher producing it? And... Yeah, second seasons are harder to promote, although on Netflix it's easier because the whole first season is there. So you're promoting the whole show, not just the debut. People can go back and watch those that first season and then roll right into the second. It's great. And yet, almost nothing. You know, maybe it's an experiment, although if I were Dave Fincher, unless he demanded there be no publicity for his show, like, I'd be mad. <laughs> like, why Why aren't you plugging I my guess, show? Like, it's, I'd never heard of it. Like, I've literally never heard of this TV show before. Yeah, it's great. And, and I too. figured that, that I look around Netflix a lot and it's just never come up or it's never yeah. grabbed me. Yeah. Well, I highly recommend it. It's really good. But uh, it is also fascinating that it basically got no promotion from Netflix, which it's that's a Netflix thing. Sometimes they do mm-hmm. big promotions, but a lot of times uh, the shows just get added to Netflix and you got to go find them. All right, today's episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. When you're preparing to travel abroad this summer, there'll be a lot of things on your checklist, but there's one very important thing that could be missing, an app that's going to keep you safe and secure while you're away, and that's where you need ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN doesn't just encrypt your data while you surf the internet on public airport and hotel Wi-Fi. It lets you stream and access content that normally would have been blocked in that country, so you can unblock all your favorite websites and browse as if you were at home. With ExpressVPN's powerful encryption, your data will be secure. It's super easy to use. It runs in the background. Just download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. It also uses new cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there are no logs of what you're doing online. It costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. As I am traveling, I'm using ExpressVPN. I'm connecting to hotel Wi-Fi every day because I have complimentary Wi-Fi with the hotel. But I want to make sure that everything is safe and secure. So I'm connecting through ExpressVPN. It's nice and easy, nice and fast, no problems. Don't travel this summer without downloading ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash upgrade. That's expressvpn.com slash upgrade for three months free of a one-year package. Go there right now. It's one thing off your summer checklist. That is expressvpn.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, so there's been a lot of discussion over the past week about iPhone naming. So I, this has kind of just been one of those things. It's been a question that's popped up, and then a bunch of people have kind of like thrown their thoughts into the ring. Uh, iPhone 11, just the numbers 11, and Pro, these two kind of terms seem to be decided upon with naming conventions. Typically, the idea is that the 10R will become the 11, and then what was previously the 10S and the 10S Max will become iPhone 11 Pro models, possibly with the larger being called Pro Max. This is what John Gruber said. I think I saw Marco say just they're both be called, he believes they'll both be called iPhone 11 Pro, and then people will just say whether they want the big one or the small one. And I want to see what we think about this. So I think there's a couple of things here that are interesting. The 10R becoming the starting point. Jason, what do you think about that? Like the 10R just becoming, well, the replacement for the 10R, iPhone 11. I I kind of like it. I think it's an interesting decision in that it's the low-end model becomes the sort of standard one. But, um, you know, the 10R has always been, you know, for this year, it's a weird product, right? It's, it's the lowest price product, but it's not the smallest one. And it's missing some features, um, at the same time, you know, Apple really, I think, wants to position it as like, this is the, this is the, a, a crowd pleaser of a model. And why not? 
if you're gonna if you're gonna split, because I don't like the you know ten R ten S kind of thing. I think if you're gonna split it, having a base and a pro feels a little more sensible. And obviously the 10R is the base because it's going to be the cheapest of them. And then, and then the pro above it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's interesting, but we've been saying this for a couple of years now that Apple is kind of trying a bunch of different things in terms of figuring out how to name their products uh, in the iPhone area, especially, and especially now that they're trying to have multiple iPhone versions, which they didn't have to deal with before. I think too, it is a, an understanding or recognition of understanding that the 10R is the default iPhone. I mean, they seem to sell a whole lot of them. And I think the way it is now, because the 10S inherited the, the mainline name, there's sort of a, a penalty that comes with buying a 10R. You know, it's it, it has a different name. It has maybe connotations in certain circles that you bought the cheap one, even though it's more expensive than the iPhone 8 was. So maybe it's just an alignment of the, the line and the marketing to how these phones actually perform in the marketplace and the, the 10R being sort of the default phone for most people, it should probably have the quote unquote default name. And it brings the start in place, a price point down. It does. I mean, well, n- not to get into a new iPhone, but to get an iPhone with the sort of normal, sort of the quote unquote normal iPhone, then yes, that price would be more in line with previous years. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't, it- I don't think it's going to make a difference in the bottom line of the company. No, I mean, I just look at something like this and, you know, this is the first iPhone really, or at least the first iPhone release plan since the iPhone decline. So a lot of the stuff that they will be doing this year, you would expect is like the attempt to try and uh, not let that happen again. I mean, and something like that, something like that, the idea of like, well, the the standard phone now is a little bit cheaper again than the, when, but, what but the standard phone has been in the previous year. But it's not going to be because, well, if they keep the 10R pricing, that is more expensive than the iPhone 6S, 7, Oh, 8, I 8. just mean cheaper than the 10 and the 10S. Yes, but the 10 and 10S weren't the defaults, even though Apple wouldn't you think they were. Like, I, I think we're saying the same thing from opposite sides. And I, I think it, the whatever the entry-level price, people who buy iPhones via entry-level price don't give much of a care about what the name is Mm -hmm. but i think what this does do is it does to me what it does is i feel like apple is giving the 10r line being cheaper than the pro model for now oled versus lcd you know one fewer camera they're giving that phone a lease on life that i wasn't sure the 10r would have had before we knew it was such a big success. There was part of me that when they introduced the 10R, I think a lot of people thought this, said, well, they didn't, they're going to relearn the iPhone 5C mm-hmm. lesson. And they did it because the 10R is a really, really good phone, better than the 10S, the 10S Max in a lot of ways. And it is modern tech. It's the same phone internally where yep. the 5C was old. Where I will be concerned is if they do this and the 11, 11 Pro have a clear difference in spec i think if it's just the number of cameras and, and the type of screen that's fine but if they widen the gap any i'll they be little, i'll be worried maybe the chips are different i hope not so that's that's going to be the interesting thing right what does pro mean what does it mean mm. to have a jump from the 11 to the pro the 11 pro like what specs do you realistically need to have a pro iphone or does yeah. it even matter? They just call it whatever they want. It yeah. doesn't matter. Where it apple, is, and apple has used pro as a word to just 
say it's the better one for a long time. I think people get really hung up on pro, meaning professional, used by professionals. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like Apple has... This, yeah, this word think, has been abused for so gone now. long. Yeah, it doesn't mean professional anymore. It, it just means better. most. Right? Yeah. yeah, or better. It means uh, it just comes in space gray. <laughs> exactly. But what are what do you, I mean? You know, for let's say then for Pro is in what it is today. So like better and best, you know, but the best iPhone. What should be in a in a eleven Pro? It's like I saw MKBHD saying that ProMotion display would be something that he would want to see. Like he really thinks that should be in there, and I agree. Like I would love like a higher refresh rate uh, screen yeah, on my and, iPhone. And other manufacturers are pulling that off. Yep. Like the Razer phone and some others have a higher mm-hmm. refresh rate. Yeah, there's a lot, especially gaming focused phones that have like 90 or 120 hertz refresh rate. What is the, is it 120 on the iPad Pro? Is that mm-hmm. what ProMotion yeah. is? Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to see 90 or 120 on the iPhone. Like that would be, that would look really good. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be the case right now. I feel like that's something that uh, they could, do without it leaking out like mm-hmm. nobody knew promotion was going to exist yeah, in the ipad even if you have the panel it's like unless it's running i don't think you could tell easily that yeah. it's capable of it well i was thinking about this uh in preparation for this you and i hung out with the galaxy note 10 oh, that's good because we ended up in a best buy yesterday yep for reasons uh it is a very nice looking phone but that is that phone's reason for being is the galaxy s10 s10 plus are in the same size class now as the Note, and battery life and features are kind of very similar, but it still relies on the pen to be the reason for the Note existing, mm-hmm. right? That's it. And S like different card. designs so and like, stuff like that. But it's not a drastically different Mm-mm, phone. It's not, not anymore. Do we think that the pencil is going to come to the phone at some point? I still do, but not now. I I every year I write a a new piece for Tom's Guide where I say that that's one of the areas where Apple could differentiate um and where Apple has and you look at the note which has it and you think Apple's yeah. got all the tech to put it in there it's just a matter of wanting to do it I think it's more likely for 2020 cuz there's the rumor of the uh, Max getting bigger right Yeah that yeah. could be if that screen gets bigger it could happen there yeah, I and, don't think it's now And we're also in this weird deal now where these these phone cycles are really three gen- or four generations old, even though the names are still only two generations mm. of change. You have the 10 and 10s. Yeah, this will be the well, third iPhone 10 generation. Right. So is it like the 10SS? Like that's really kind of what it would be in the old vocabulary. So in a sense, the generational names aren't lining up with new features actually coming out anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think fundamentally, and we know this because of uh, all the leaks and things, is the, at the very least, this will be differentiated by camera and display, right? It's going to have a yep. third camera. It's going to, or we could just say better camera, but it, we the rumors are three cameras on the back and better display because it'll have the OLED display. Whether or not it's at a higher refresh rate, it'll have the, it'll have the better display. And that is, you know, that's enough, you could argue. Better camera, better display is probably enough. There are other things they could do to differentiate it if they feel they need to. They could make it a better processor. They could increase the refresh rate. But I feel like, or they could change the sensors. There could be some other like sensors in there that do other things that we don't even know about. But um, I think it would probably be enough to differentiate it as it is. Not Not to keep in mind the perhaps most important spec of all, which is that it'll be like $300 more expensive. <laughs> That's a good spec. It's a big it's spec. A great spec. It's a big spec. Uh, I don't like iPhone 11 Pro Max as a name. Oh, it's. I mean, okay. Let's start here. Let's start here. iPhone 10s Max. 
we already last year were like still don't like it it's a bad that name it's never grown on me it's a bad I don't name like it. and i and pro max is is just as bad it might pro max sounds yeah. like a weight gain protein powder Pro Max. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a muscle milk competitor. Yeah. That's what that's what it yeah. <laughs> get ripped that's with Pro Max. Pro yeah. Max. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like you would see it written on one of those it's, huge tubs. It's, it's, it's extra testosterone. Big. Yep. You're gonna mm-hmm. get ripped just picking that phone up every day. That's true. I don't like Pro Max. No, it's I bad. It's bad. Pro Max. I think it's a mouthful. I think what we've been saying kind of all along is true here too, which is at some point, why are you differentiating in name based on screen size? You just differentiate on screen size and leave it at that yeah. and that's the you know macbook pro there's a 13 inch macbook pro and a 15 inch macbook pro it is not the macbook pro max thank goodness yet anyway Ma- max, yet the macbook pro uh, according to some images found in betas by a website called <laughs> i help B- vr it seems that september 10 could be the announcement of the iphone there is a uh, a, an image that they found called like hold for release or something like that and it's a iphone home screen with september 10th as the calendar icon there's also no app labels on these icons yes don't worry i noticed that, that too we, can we talk about that <laughs> that's weird too we don't need to worry about i'm a little concerned now. uh i have two thoughts about this one is of course it says september 10 it is by far the most obvious date it is yep. uh tuesday in early september it's not the day after labor day which is a holiday it's better if it's not i think ideally it's also not september 11 which is often you know kind of an awkward day to have a big event september 10 mm-hmm. it's the most logical date we've always thought that so this uh this follows but i want to mention the other thing which is how are images that are marked not for release getting through into beta because we're going to get to a story about the Apple Watch in a minute. It's the <laughs> same thing. It's like, how are these images getting in beta releases? How how many times ha- does Apple have to get its images swiped out of its uh, product builds or off its web server before it locks that down? It, it blows my mind that this is still happening. So what Jason's referencing is uh, an- the same website, I hope BR, claims to have found um, some assets that reveal new Apple Apple Watch cases, one in titanium and one in ceramic. So there's like the the kind of the, the the image that they show that kind of goes on the back of the of the watch. You know, like it's got that kind of like back of watch look. I don't really know what to describe how to describe it, but it shows the ceramic case, titanium case. So this is apparently again come from a some screenshots found within beta seven, I think. So maybe this is what we're going to get this year, right? Like it feels like maybe this was an Apple Watch year where we we haven't got a lot of rumors. Like I can't put my finger on anything, you know, like any kind of sensor changes or anything like that. We got the new design last year, so they're not going to make significant case design changes like yeah. from a visual perspective. There is no, say, no real rumors of like always on screen or anything like that. So maybe these materials are the new look and new features that they give to make people want to buy uh, a new Apple Watch. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, our our friends who like watches, and you, you're one of our friends who likes watches too. Yep. I am. Um, um, so, say that yeah, these, it seems exciting. The, these, uh, yeah, these materials are, are nice materials. We've seen a ceramic Apple Watch before. These would probably be the high-end expensive materials that you'd pay yep. a lot of money for, but that they're very nice and that the titanium, especially, you know, watch-grade titanium, it's very light. And so it would be a light watch that maybe would actually even have uh, more clear haptics and stuff in it, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, that's something to talk about about the Apple Watch, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really feel like there's much else. I mean, it doesn't, I don't even really remember what's in WatchOS 6. 
new watch faces and probably some activity stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember either. That, but, but like the, you know, I know that it's all the, it's the app like store the and, ind- and independent apps is oh, basically yeah. what it is. You're talking it, to yeah. two guys who don't wear you Apple know, watches. <laughs> it might be okay if the Apple Watch just cooled it off a little and yep. and uh, advanced as a stable platform like mm-hmm. the independent watch apps and app store stuff and um swift ui like it feels like that's what it's about is really like okay we've got it to a decent point in terms of features let's get the apps better and i mm-hmm. would applaud that and uh and will there be a new apple watch piece of hardware i, I think probably although it wouldn't blow me away if they did variations on the existing Apple Watch hardware, like these titanium and ceramic ones, and maybe didn't even upgrade the series. Um, they probably will because they can sell more of them. But do they need to? Unless they've got like, I mean, I guess it's all incremental, right? They upgrade the upgrade the series, and basically at this point, there's no feature with the cellular in there. There's no feature crying out for change. But they could, as always, make the processor more efficient and make the battery better and make the balance work a little bit better but i feel like the watch isn't crying out for that level of improvement like it has every year since it's been announced this year i'm i'm intrigued because i always liked the way the ceramic watches looked you know and i'm interested to see what they do because they did a white one they did like a gray one Mm -hmm. and i wonder like what is that what kind of color are they going to do uh so like ceramic is nice and i think that's kind of an it's an interesting choice to, to pick back up again yeah, and I wore the stainless steel watch for a long time, stainless steel Apple Watch. And Jason, you mentioned this. The haptics on it weren't ever very strong because it's a lot of it's mass heavy. to move yeah. around to get the vibrate to, you know, vibration to come through. And wearing an aluminum watch is a totally different ball game than that. And maybe titanium can split the difference a little bit, still look premium, still be all shiny, but the haptic motor actually be able to keep up with it and and, and be as noticeable as it is on the aluminum watches. So I think it's really interesting. And I agree with you. The watch has been on such a tear and it needed to be right. The first couple were so slow Mm -hmm. and so limited. And the series four feels great. And I'm sure the five will be even faster, but at some point I I think they'll move from a every year to, you know, maybe like an iPad release cycle. It's every 18 months or so, you know, alternating spring and fall where you get, uh, a new watch and they can k- still keep the bands refreshing they're still doing that every yeah. season so you can still keep interest there and I'd you like could do- refresh the materials right like that's the thing i keep yeah. thinking is there they could totally I'm not saying they will but they could totally just say we've got some new series four watch materials and it's titanium and it's ceramic and who knows maybe there's some different colors on the aluminum and it's still just series four because they've shown with those watch bands like interesting they can keep selling watch bands in different colors and they just keep doing it and i'm not saying they'll do it this year but i agree with you Stephen. they could lengthen out the cycle and they could even like drop in a mid-cycle set of changes and that would serve to lengthen out the cycle right and then maybe in six months or a year there's a series five um i i I, because i struggle to think what earth-shattering feature update has to be in a series five apple watch and i i can't 
come up with anything. I think the hardware is pretty good. Uh, and I've sort of given up on the, you know, eternal battery life and the screen always stays on thing. I think that Apple has just decided that they're not close to that yet. And, and short of a breakthrough like that, where the battery is going to last, you know, they, they add sleep tracking and a battery that you can run for 36 hours or something like that and leave the screen on until they get to that point. I feel like, I don't know, it's so incremental that do you need a new watch every year? I don't know. I think so. But I, I hadn't thought of the idea of these just being Series 4 like that. That's interesting. Like I kind of like that thought that this is just Series 4 watches and new ones. Go crazy. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Today's show is brought to you by Bombas. Every kid can remember what was cool when they were younger. For me, it was Pokemon cards and yo-yos. That was like a big thing. Yo-yos were huge when wow. I was a kid. I don't know if that was a thing that made it to America, but... Yo-yos with like ball bearings in them and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like serious stuff. You can go stuff. walk the dog. You do all the tricks. Exactly. You do the little triangle thing when yeah. you're just like swinging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the kind of stuff that was cool when I was young. Get kids now, they're running around in bright bumper socks. That's the cool thing these days. The socks that kids love, which really isn't surprising. They're the most comfortable kid socks ever. They're bursting with color and designs with comfort, innovation to make them feel great. I love their Sesame Street socks. That's like a cool thing. So, you know, maybe your kids like Sesame Street and get cool Sesame Street bumper socks. Send your kids back to school in socks that are comfortable, colorful, so they feel ready to take on the new school year. Since Bumpus donates a pair of socks for every pair purchased, grab some yourself as well and you'll be doing something for some people. Do some good in the world. I've been wearing Bumpus socks all week. They are so incredibly comfortable. I have like their ankle socks. They have like a really nice uh, like padded section at the back. Um, I'm actually wearing new shoes as well, which is usually a nightmare for me, but like new shoes just like kill my feet. But I've been wearing bumper socks and I've been so comfortable that it's been able to take care of that for me. So I've been really, really happy with that over the last few days. So go to bombas.com slash upgrade and you can get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash upgrade for 20% off. Go there right now, bombas.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Now we have Stephen Hackett with us today. Yes. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Mac a little bit. Uh, so Jason, do you want to do you want to take it away? I thought we would just take a little time with Stephen and talk about the Mac and talk about hardware and software. And Mike and I do talk about the Mac, but Stephen, mm-hmm. I feel like is is our go to uh, excited about the Mac Mac power users co host uh, friend. And so I thought we would use this segment in the summer of fun to talk about the Mac a little bit. Um, and I wanted to start with sort of hardware where we are now where we're going with that. And this is hearkening back to our Ask Upgrade at the beginning of this episode. The desktop Macs starting there, like, let's talk about the iMac. I think that this is an open question. When we did our interview back in the spring, we were really expecting maybe that the iMac would finally have that generational moment, and it didn't. And so here we are speculating about where the iMac goes from here and the iMac Pro, which we talked about earlier. Like, Stephen, what do you think? Like, where are we in the iMac lifecycle? Are we, is this what the iMac is just going to keep on looking like? Or do you think that there is a new conception of the iMac waiting in the wings? And and when would we see that? I mean, the general recipe of the iMac, you know, aluminum foot, LCD screen, computer glue to the back of it. That's really been the recipe now since the, the iMac G5. It was the first flat one. And that was back in you know, the early 2000s, 2004, somewhere in there. And here we are really 15 years into this general design concept. Now they've changed a lot, right? They ditched the optical drive. They went from 
I have a white plastic iMac G5 over there behind Mike, and then they went to aluminum, and now it's all aluminum with glass and much thinner. But the idea of the iMac feels like it it's pretty stable at, the, at this point. I think they the iMac, okay, it's the, the all-in-one. The way you make all-in-ones is you put the screen in front of the computer, different than like the Microsoft Surface Studio, which put the computer in the base, like the iMac G4. I think that that's proven out not to be the way to do this. However... The ingredients may always stay the same, but I do think there's there's room for revision. We talked about thinner bezels a second ago. They're chunky. You know, it's it's awkward. It's been 12 years, basically, that the iMac has looked more or less the same. It's gotten a little bit thinner, but the front of it, I'm looking. I have a 2007 iMac in my office, and I can look at it from here. And it doesn't mm-hmm. look that different, other than silver versus space gray, from my iMac Pro. Yeah, you know, they went to widescreen or and some other things, but yeah, basically the same. And I think it's time for that sort of change again. You know, when, when they went from 2007 to whenever it was when they got thinner, you know, maybe it's time for one of those types of things again, where you bring the bezels down, maybe make the uh, the chin a little bit smaller again, you know, sort of tighten things up a little bit. Yep. But I think the iMac as we know it is how the iMac will be. I think the far more interesting story is, though, is what's going on inside the iMac. And, and I think you guys did a really good job in that interview and the coverage after that. Like the iMac in a sense is the every man's computer, right? Like they sell them to families and schools and businesses and, and individuals and they reach a really wide audience, you know, that base iMac with a spinning hard drive all the way up to a 5K monster, then of course the iMac Pro. But it sure feels like it's time for them to bring even those base configs into the modern world. Get rid of the spinning hard drives, revamp the cooling, put a better FaceTime camera in it. Like when we did that Twitch video the other day, like we did it on the iMac Pro because it has a 1080p camera, but that's the only Mac with a 1080p camera in it. All the others are 720. The poor old MacBook was 480. It's time for Apple to do those sorts of things that they've just really let linger for a long time. Yeah, I, I agree. I do wonder about the the bezel thing. Like it feels like there's something that they could do on the on the outside that that it's been and i looked 2012 i believe is when the thin yes design that we have right now came in still seven years and uh in terms of like viewing it from the front and not three-dimensionally it's 2007 but um i don't know what they're waiting for and that this gets into the conspiracy theory land of like is apple's ultimate goal to make its non-pro products all ARM-based at some point? And would they wait for a really massive Mm. uh, platform change to bother revving the iMac? Maybe. I figured when the iMac Pro looked the same as the 27-inch, just in space gray, that this design was going to be locked in for several more years. (laughs) This is where we're wrapped up. If you're going to have a, uh, a new fancy iMac design, you debut it on the iMac Pro, and then it trickles down to the 5K and 4K, think, but that's not how it works. You would think, unless, again, unless there's a, a plan for, like, an ARM iMac that looks totally different. But I also agree. Well, maybe they just don't have, like, they just don't have a drastically different design. In the end, it's like, a screen, right? Like, I mean, there is only so much they can do. do they it? could bring in the yeah. bezels and get, lose the uh, the chin 
if they really wanted to, they could do that. And maybe well, it's, it's like one of the things where it's like, yeah, they could do that, but then that introduces issues with the ins- you know, like it's like, oh, well, we could make it smaller, but if we do that, it's like a ton of work and effort into trying to fit everything right. back and, in again. So I, is it worth? And it? I guess that's the question: is is it worth it? I mean, if you look at the desktop line, you have the Mac Mini, and you have the iMac, and the iMac Pro, soon to be Mac Pro as well. The iMac's got to be the most popular of those, For but. Sure. Compared to notebooks, it's nothing. No, it's I mean a their third, notebook a sales are. Yeah, yeah. I bet it. I bet it's. I bet notebook sales are easily three quarters of their sales now. Yeah, and even there, they move more slowly than we would like. So I think just in the, in the amount of attention and resources Apple has, the iMac, unfortunately, is just going to to get you know less attention than I think some the of Mac Mini like. is another, uh, like another indicator. They they could have done anything with that. And they kept the, they and kept they just, the chassis the same. Painted it gray. Well, they, well, and internally they are drastically different. Sure, but, but they were they, the Mac Mini underwent the iMac Pro transformation, where my old 5K iMac and my iMac Pro, other than the color, they're the same on the outside. But as soon as you crack one open, it's like, oh, this is a totally different ball mm-hmm. game, right? And I and I guess it's like, when does the iMac benefit from that previous work? They've already done it with the enclosure. You just have to trickle it down. Yeah, that does feel like that's inevitable, right? Is that inevitably there will be a better, an SSD only and better cooled iMac that will just use the tech that's in the in the iMac Pro. That right, that does seem to be something that will have to happen. But for that to yeah. happen, Apple is going to have to grapple with the idea of not making spinning hard drives in iMacs and that's one of the ways that mm-hmm. they make them cheap is by doing that and they sell my impression is they sell a lot of those that if you were, oh, yeah. if you were to do a, a a chart of what the price point of the iMac is that's most popular it would be shifted way down from what you know we would mm-hmm. buy because they sell a lot of them into education but also you know if if they're trumpeting how great they look on desks and hotels like you're not ordering the i7 <laughs> for the hotel check-in desk right you're not and you're not ordering the terabyte ssd Should fast check-ins <laughs> that's right much faster with ssd much check-ins. speedier check-in yeah mm-hmm. and, and that's the real crime in the imac line to me is that okay if you're going to put hard drives in it at least do 7200 rpm but they're 5400 rpm those imacs are painfully slow they are i don't like them but then I look at the Mac Pro, which is like, looks so different, right? Like they really kind of went for it with that thing. If you look at it next to a cheese grater, it's not all that different. Well, yeah, no, but like even then though, if you compared the two of them together, like it's like, oh, okay, you took a design and you updated that mm-hmm. design and made it right. new, which is kind of what we're talking about with the iMac, right? Where like they could take that design and make it more new. They could make it look more like the Pro Display XDR, right? Which, if they wanted to, which is like a completely different type of design. Yeah, squared off, sort of uh, muscular looking. And like much more kind of Full of eyeball sockets Ignore the the holes on the back, because in theory, an iMac wouldn't need those, unless they use that in the iMac Pro. That's the way they call the iMac Pro, right? Because they have to call them on their own, like, you know. But that that is a data point of like, well, they did that with a Mac Pro, but I just... I don't know. I would love to see a change to the iMac, but they might just keep making the computer better as opposed to necessarily changing the design. But, and I think the audience for the iMac, except for us who live on the very high end of the iMac line, those people Jason was describing, people putting them in hotels and schools and <laughs> offices, they just don't 
care the design's the same. Yeah. In some ways, it's a benefit that it doesn't change because mm-hmm. you can, if you have a 2012 and you buy a 2019, you can just drop it in place and all your cables reach and you can just keep going. Yep. And there is benefit to that. And no doubt at this point, the enclosure is pretty cheap to build for them, right? They've got that process down. So may, I think there's part of this, like the people who would benefit from a design change kind of don't care about it. And at some point, Apple will get around to it. But clearly, there's other issues in the Mac line that require attention first. I agree. Like the like the laptops? Like the laptops. Oh. oh. So yeah. in writing like a piece laptop. for Macworld uh, last week, two weeks ago, I came to this realization that, um, you know, Apple is trying, we talked about it, whatever, 75, 80%, who knows how much of the Mac is laptops. And the entire consumer laptop market for Apple, which is presumably really large, is this MacBook Air that's essentially a single configuration. And there it is. (laughs) And that's, I mean, it, it has a little bit of variation, but it's like, here is one product that is designated to fulfill the needs of every consumer who wants a Mac laptop. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the 13-inch MacBook Pro picks some of that weight up, uh, especially in the era before the MacBook Air was good again. But uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, But even thinking sort of historically, that's kind of mostly been the case. I mean, the iBook, they had two different sizes, but there was only one macbook you know the white and black plastic one there was only very little variation in that in that as well so i don't think it's that unusual it's two macbook airs two macbook airs plus uh you know for a while there was a macbook and and that that's but i think that's the the outlier um i i do think there is room for something else i mean not the 12 inch macbook clearly but could they take the the 13 inch macbook air and have a 13 and like a 14 and a half or or there was a room. Remember that weird rumor a couple years ago? There's gonna be like a 15 inch MacBook Air, and uh, that never went anywhere. Didn't the MacBook and the MacBook Air exist for a while. Yes, together, they they coexisted the for quite some time. Uh, with the first MacBook Air, when the MacBook Air got good, the MacBook had had kind of was going away. Yeah. But uh, where I look at the MacBook Air, in terms of what they should do with it, if that's the lens we're looking through today, clearly there's still room for a cheaper model. 1099 is. Pretty good. 999 is better, but you can't decontent that 1099 anymore. It has a tiny right. SSD. You can find and it for 999. This is the thing I keep harping at. Yeah. I, I bought two over the last year for 999. Um, yeah, you can find them. Because, yeah, they're on sale at Amazon or Best Buy or, what, or you know, Woot or wherever. You can find them for 999 pretty <laughs> often if you look. But Apple's not going to sell it to you unless you're a student. Yeah. At least, at least for now. Um, but, you know... Maybe there is room for a notebook, you know, designed really for education because like the MacBook Air is still pretty expensive to repair. It's, you know, aluminum and and a nice screen and a fragile keyboard. Like maybe there is room for something other than a beautiful carved piece of aluminum at the really low end. But Apple has never really played in that space in the notebooks. I mean, the cheapest notebook in like modern Apple history probably is that 999 macbook air for a while and yep. and after the macbooks they weren't willing to go back to plastic so you could i mean i i think it'd be really interesting like what would a 699 education notebook look like from apple well the answer of course is well it's an ipad with a keyboard which is that is always going to be the basement of the mac line is they're not going to be willing to 
get Mac peanut butter in their iPad chocolate too much in these hate markets. That, hate that metaphor, but because you don't like peanut butter, exactly. Uh, you mentioned keyboards, like that's still a big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would expect that there'll be a complete turnover of the entire Mac laptop line within a year, anyway. To change so, the keyboard, it sure seems like it. Yeah, um, feels like it because it feels like once they fix it, they've got to fix it everywhere. Yes, because it's causing them headache. Well, it's going to kill the other models, right? Like <laughs> to a degree. Uh, I have a 2019 MacBook Pro. It's here on this table in front of me. It's the 15 inch, eight core. It's mm-hmm. the current. You walk in Apple Store today, you can buy this laptop, and the keyboard is bad in the sense that I still don't like the travel and feel. But that aside, I have not had any sticky keys or any failure and i've had it for several months now so i even if they did fix it with this revision which is still not enough data we need to know years and years of how they operate even if they fix it this time i still think they have to really revise this line because people are never going to trust the butterfly keyboard and there are issues with this notebook past that there are issues with thermals there's issues with just limiting it to thunderbolt and a lot of those aren't going to get addressed look if you're out there thinking, oh, the 16-inch MacBook Pro is going to bring USB-A back in SD card slot. Like, don't hold your breath. This Apple doesn't go back on these things very often. But there are things they can do within their current set of restrictions no, the, to make this notebook more palatable. The lack of an SD card is not causing them issues from a repairability standpoint, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're going to, they're going to go back on the keyboard because well, they and, need to. They, they've got to do that. But, but yeah, the port change stuff is like, that's that. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that a lot of people have put all their hopes and dreams on a 16-inch MacBook Pro. That whatever your problem with the notebook mm-hmm. is, it'll that'll solve be it. the problem it'll fix. And it ain't going to be how this nope. works. No, that happens so often where everybody heaps all of their dreams on something. And then the thing that comes is actually pretty good, but it doesn't check every box. And then they're disappointed. Right. And that I feel like that is the, the product cycle for a lot of Mac uh, products, especially Apple products in general, is there's the rumors and then there's the dream and then there's the reality. And instead of being excited about the reality, you're disappointed that it isn't uh, the fulfillment of a dream, which is silly. Of mm-hmm. course it isn't, but it happens. I do. If we look out with the MacBook line in into the future, yeah, it does seem like the keyboard's going to get changed. I I take that 16 inch MacBook Pro rumor. And I kind of assume that, that w- there will also be like a 14-inch MacBook Pro next year and that that will be that whole line kind of flipping over into a new line. You've got the MacBook Air, which just got replaced uh, you know, or, or reset. And I feel like they tried to kill it. It wouldn't die. They brought it back. It's here to stay for a while because, I mean, it's not going to die. So you might as well keep updating it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd love to see that. I'd love a 14-inch notebook. I, I honestly like a lot about the 13 I like a lot about this 15 but a 14 which is a yeah, size shape, of the 13 size, but with the small bezels around it yeah yeah that would be pretty awesome and that would be a machine that would definitely pique my interest and it differentiates it from the 13 uh, inch macbook air which is nice yes the one that is speculated about endlessly that's still floating out there too is that you know what if there's an arm transition and what if it happens with an arm transition laptop that can do probably ridiculous battery life compared to the existing laptops and uh, you know i'm still kind of a believer that that might be the other product that doesn't that doesn't exist right now with a macbook going away that could potentially exist in addition to two macbook pros and the macbook air but what do you think steven do you think that that we're ever gonna see that uh you know arm macbook that everybody has uh has speculated about for like 
five years now. It feels inevitable that if they move to ARM, they would start with the low end. When they went from PowerPC to Intel, all the Intel machines were so much faster than the G4s and even the G5s. They could move the whole. They moved the whole product line in a year, including like the XServe and the the Power Mac to the Mac Pro. Unless Apple has some sort of secret ARM chip that we're just unaware of and that is unlike anything on the market right now, they can't keep up with an iMac Pro, let alone the upcoming Mac Pro with an ARM-based machine. And so I'm torn on this. Part of me thinks, well, they would split the line and the MacBook Air and the iMac would, would go ARM and the iMac Pro, the MacBook Pro, and the Mac Pro would stay Intel for a while. But that's not really a sustainable solution. Maybe they'd be willing to do it for a few years, but I think they'd only start down that path if they knew in 24 months we can be all in on ARM. I don't think they want to keep – it's bad for developers. It's bad for the platform, I think, to be split that way because you have Macs that may look a little bit different but or vastly different in terms of what they can do. That's really – that's I just can't wrap my mind around that being something that Apple would do. See, I I think – that it's very unlikely that the high end is going to ever leave Intel. I got to be honest. I, I don't think Apple's chip designers even want to make something that's the equivalent of like a Xeon. So I'm kind of coming around to the belief that Apple is going to differentiate consumer and pro in the Mac and it's going to be ARM and Intel. And that if you want a pro system that runs Intel and will run Windows and Boot Camp and we'll do all of those things, we sell those. But our, you know, our laptop that we sell to college students and presumably at some point our iMac that's on the desk in a hotel check-in is just going to mm-hmm. be ARM. And and I think they could get away with it because of what they've done in terms of uh, how developers work. I mean, developers already, they're all in Xcode. Um, on iOS, they're already, their simulator builds run on Intel and then their final builds run on ARM. I feel like it wouldn't necessarily be crushing to their maintenance or uh, as the platform developer or the app developer maintenance. If they can do it right, you're just building. And then we know from uh, what they do with the App Store on iOS, like they can even on the App Store just send you the binary that you need, even though presumably yeah. if you're outside of the App Store, you'd need like a universal binary. I feel like they could get away with it. And and the reason I've come to this conclusion is I try to imagine the high-end macbook pro user and the mac pro user and a processor that's going to be apple designed that fulfills them and i just i i I just don't think apple's ever going to try to make that processor yeah i don't know it's it's maybe the most interesting question about the mac in the last decade and it's one that feels like it's it will always feel like we're six months away like it it always feels anytime now and in any wwc Mm -hmm. this will be the one and they're moving that way in some of their software stuff, and we can talk about that, that maybe they are, are looking to bridge the gap between the iPad and the Mac a little bit more. But there's something about Apple that's interesting and different from other companies that they want to control the stack. They want as much of the key technology in-house as possible to the extent that they you know, bought Intel's 5G modem division. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do huge moves to make that possible. And so I think it's in Apple's DNA to move from Intel to ARM. But yeah, I think maybe we just disagree on what that would look like long-term. Yeah. It's part of the fun of this. That is part of Some the fun. Some fun of this. Ooh. Yeah, so let's take the software side of it because it's all kind of intertwined here. Uh, Mac OS, a uh, big release is coming in the fall with Catalina. It's going to have Catalyst in it, 
which we all thought would be huge. And then Apple said, hey, Catalyst. And also, uh, look over there. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's Swift UI. And let's talk about Swift UI. And also, Catalyst is here. Um, what do you think about, about Catalina this fall? It feels to me like it's going to be a pretty disruptive OS release in a, in a bunch of different ways. Maybe the most polarizing Mac OS release in a while. Yeah, probably since Lion. Mm-hmm. Where I struggle with this is I, I fundamentally dislike the annual release cycle for macOS releases. And the last several years, they've been so quiet that it's like, you know, you sitting down in front of anything from El Capitan to Mojave, you'd be hard-pressed to notice anything as an average user. Mm-hmm. But this time you do it, and the software you used to use every day isn't going to work because it's 32-bit, and you've not really paid attention to the warnings you've gotten in Mojave. It... It feels like a very big release just to be shoved down the throat of the annual cycle. And I wish that they could slow that down. Not because I don't want the Mac to get updates, but because I think that there is benefit to having longer cycles in terms of stability. And when you bring something new, you can really make sure you've had the time to to get it right. You know, Catalina is so complex because it brings the end of 32-bit apps and it brings Catalyst apps and it brings Swift UI support. And for some time, Apple has known they were all going to be in one OS, but that may not have been the, always the plan. But when you have to release annually, things get pushed around and teams work on different things. And all of a sudden you have a mega release that to the user just at home on their iMac with a spinning hard drive it's just a, a pop up in the Mac App Store, and they do it, and then, you know, they've got serious things to contend with. So, I am nervous about the release of Catalina from that perspective, and I wish that there was a way to really give users a heads up of the changes that are coming. There are still a lot of 32-bit apps out there. My iMac Pro is full of them. Some of them I use on a pretty regular basis, and I'm going to find the time to find replacements and be able to to rework some of the things I do. But there are other people who are going to be caught by surprise. And if you, if you skip Mojave, a lot of users go every other release. You won't have been living in a world with a year of notices every time you open this app that it's getting ready to die. And all of a sudden it doesn't work. And that is going to be quite the fun time for Apple support folks. I think they put in some notices actually in a late build of, uh, of High, Sierra High Sierra for that reason. I, I remember writing a news story that actually they, they rolled that into High Sierra and and it's a good thing right because you'll you'll yes. be getting that but i agree <laughs> i i am i'm really worried about catalina and it's a beta so i'm not saying i'm worried about bugs that are in catalina but i'm worried about the fact that there are all these new security entitlements that are being applied to all apps not just apps that are in the mac app store it's going to get in people's faces unless they make big changes between now and release get in people's faces in a way that that the system hasn't before they're going to lose all their 32-bit apps if they update and then um, separately from that is the catalyst thing where there's going to be software that's going to be coming in from iOS uh, in, you know, there will be good and bad in that. But it feels like enough of a uh, transitional p- moment that I wonder if we're going to see less migration, less upgrading to this version and more complaints from people who do make the upgrade, perhaps not understanding how big a step it is, than we've seen in a while. And and that's not, you know, Apple doesn't like that. Apple wants everybody updating as much as they can, as fast as they can. But with this amount of change, it's going to be hard 
for that to happen, I think. Absolutely. I mean, we've been talking about how to handle this for Mac Power users. And I think our advice is going to be to hold off or to really do your homework before you upgrade. And one thing that's unclear to me at this point, because I'm running the Catalina Bay just on external SSD still, because I've been traveling a lot and need need my machines to work. But uh, in the past, when you've updated a version of Mac OS and you have incompatible software, you get an error at the end of the installer. The OS is already on your computer. And it says, oh, uh, BT Dubs, this scanner software you've used for 20 years doesn't work anymore. And I really hope, and I, I just don't know, but I really hope that in the Catalina installer, that happens first. That it does a sweep of your disk. It says, oh, hey, if you hit upgrade, these eight apps are going to quit working. And if it's still at the end, that's a mistake on the part of that team because people need to have information before they go into this. Yeah, your 32-bit printer driver that allows you to print to that printer you've had for eight years that's perfectly fine, it's not going to work anymore. So good luck, right? Like the last thing you want to do is get through that whole process from which you cannot recover easily and discover that these apps don't work. And this one hasn't been updated, and this one has been updated, but it's going to be weird, you know, weird incompatibilities with the stuff you've been doing, and you're going to have to pay for it, and you're going to have to pay for these other ones, and this one just isn't, doesn't exist, and so you can't print or use the scanner or whatever. Like, you don't want – Mike and I did one of my favorite episodes of Upgrade was that Upgrade Experience episode where we talked about how sometimes it was frustrating to get a new iPhone, and to Apple's credit, um, and with some new stuff that's in iOS 13, like – they have done such a good job of making that process so much easier in the last few years. But on the Mac, I'm worried that you're going to get this bad experience where you you update your software and then on the other side of it, it's just awful. And um, I, I'm with you. I don't know what form this beta is going to ultimately take, but if I, if, if it doesn't change from what I've seen this summer... I feel like I'm going to have to say you should probably not update because it's such a radical change that unless you have it used to be like, yeah, it's got some new features and it's fine. So why don't you update? And this one's going to really be unless there's something you have to have in Catalina, don't update because of all the things that are going to break or change or be different in ways that um, you don't need. Yep. It's uh, and that's something that we haven't really dealt with. In a long time, it yeah. feels like. Yeah, no, it is. You mentioned Lion. Lion broke a lot of apps, especially if you had uh, yeah. had audio apps. It broke all my audio apps. Yeah. Um, or, you know, changed the way that the save dialog box was. That's true. That's right. Redefined what save as meant. Uh, that not not oh, great. Um, what do you think about Catalyst? I mean, separate from the upgrade pain of Catalina, um, one of the things that I found fascinating about the summer is I expected to be kind of pelted with iOS um, ports to the Mac. And instead, most of the apps that I would want from iOS, the developers have said, I want to make a good Mac app. And so it's not going to be there. I'm going to update. First, I'm going to update my iOS app to be good on iOS 13. That's going to take my summer. And then in the fall, maybe I'll work on the Mac port for early next year or late this year. Um, it's surprising, surprising to me that um, I, I just expected it to be a little more dramatic than it's been. What's your experience been, and what do you anticipate for Catalyst? I don't think I've tried a single beta from a developer, and I'm on a bunch of iOS test flights. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in this world. I think it's encouraging that developers are saying we'd rather take the time to get it right than rush out something that's garbage. So that hopefully is a signal that we, we were worried of just on just shovelware coming onto the Mac right. and it being a bad experience, which I feel so, like is going to happen. But 
you know, I, I, but I agree. I'm encouraged that the developers that we know and care about uh, their software, they're, um, they mm-hmm. are, they're going to be careful and they're going to do yep. it right. Yeah. So I think Catalyst is important. I think those out there saying that it is, you know, a temporary stopgap to SwiftUI are underestimating the time it will take for SwiftUI to take over. That is a years long transition. And that doesn't mean that skipping Catalyst is a good idea. So I think that the developers who are doing it, taking their time, are going to be the ones who are rewarded in the marketplace for having good Mac apps, even though they started life on the iPhone or iPad. I am concerned that this potential slow uptake uh, is going to take the wind out of the sails, though. Right, so like when Cat- Catalina launches and there are no decent Catalyst apps that people are just like, that's ah, junk, and then that's that. Well, I- from the average user perspective who don't know anything about Catalyst, it'll just be over time there'll be more Mac apps. That's good. I think for those of us who are a little bit more in the know, there may be. I mean, there are people who are already poo-pooing it now who haven't run anything because because they're angry. But um, I think that the worst thing, like that's not great for Catalyst. But I think the the worst thing is a being a bunch of bad apps and it gets a rep for oh, Catalyst is the way that people write crummy Mac apps and. Hopefully, this taking longer will help limit that. But time will tell, right? Like, who knows? This is uncharted territory in a lot of ways. There could be a bunch of really bad Mac apps, like, immediately. And there already are. But, you know, (laughs) I would rather have a few good Catalyst apps. I think that's better for the platform than a bunch of cruddy ones on day one. Yep. Yeah. What's funny, when I say, like, people are going to maybe be told not to upgrade to Catalina and just wait it out. What's going to be funny is that moment when some app, you know, Overcast, Ferrite, whatever, comes out and it only runs on Catalina. And then then that's going to be that moment where it's like, well, <laughs> is there an app really that you want, want, to, yeah. want to run on your Mac? Well, then you're going to need to upgrade to Catalina. That'll, that'll push it. But it may not happen on day one. Although it may, right? Like Major League Baseball could be there with their baseball app on day one. Netflix could be there or Amazon or something like that with an app version on day one. Those are a little less, since there's a web equivalent, it's, it, it's a little less of a, of a thing. But there will be some. But I think over time, there will be more apps that are... Um, interesting and worth considering and will require catalina mm-hmm. good times it's a fun fun summer to be Su- a mac summer user. fun yeah it's gonna be a summer of interesting fun for the mac i think this i'm really intrigued to see what catalina does right like we've been talking about security stuff on and off over the last few weeks which is potentially going to frustrate people along with like this big technology that might it's kind of going to like launch with a bit of a whimper and then a bunch of applications that are going to stop working. Like this is like a minefield. Yeah, yeah. So, Stephen, uh, one last thing before we close out the uh, the special summer of Mac portion of the show, which is, um, what do you think macOS is going from here? Do you think the macOS iOS kind of collision that's not totally not them becoming the same OS, but becoming more alike and sharing software and all of that? Are we just going to keep seeing that? Do, is the pace of macOS update going to speed up or is it going to slow down i don't know it no I think predict it you're, you're a pundit you're <laughs> supposed know. to predict you're supposed to know the future or i, mean, I, I like don't do. think apple i don't think apple wants to merge the mac os and ios like the actual operating system themselves i don't think they're they have much interest in doing that anytime soon i do think we will continue to see the veneer over both of them continue to be more of uh, more in alignment if not the exact same thing now that 
leads to a lot of interesting questions like touchscreen Macs and ARM Macs and all those other things. But even if you just looked at Swift UI as, as an early example of you do something one way and uh, one place and it kind of works everywhere, I think Apple's more interested in that sort of solution as opposed to what maybe what Microsoft has done with Windows, where Windows 10 sort of spans the gamut between, you know, tiny little touch Surface Go all the way up to a big desktop, you know, with RGB fans in it. And the UI sort of changes and adapts to where you are. I think Apple's more interested in, in aligning the underlying technologies and keeping the UI level and the OS level separate, at least for now. I don't see, you know, 10 years out, who knows, but I think we're safe and sound for a while. We'll see. I, I keep thinking about touch screens and if they will ever go down that path on the Mac. But, you know, iOS, Mac OS, maybe they just, you know, continue to be defined by those basic differences. And that will just, you Federico will just have to learn to live with it. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Our friends at FreshBooks can help you save tons and tons of time, hundreds of hours with their super simple cloud accounting software. They simplify tasks like invoicing and expense tracking, even getting paid online. FreshBooks drastically reduces the time it takes for their over 10 million customers to deal with their paperwork. I absolutely love FreshBooks. We've been using it for about five years now with our company. We send every invoice via FreshBooks. It's super simple. I'm able to track very easily if somebody has seen an invoice, if they've opened it, if they've printed it. Um, it's really easy for me to know if somebody is on top of it. Um, it's even like our clients can even kind of write messages to us in the invoice and they get sent to me so I can resolve any issues that they have, which is fantastic. Um, I also really love their late payment email reminders as well. Like if you don't want to be chasing people because they're paying you late, you can set it up to work for you automatically so it will chase it for you. But even if you don't do that, like when you log into the dashboard and you get your notifications in FreshBooks, you can see what's late. You can go in and very easily take a look at what you've got outstanding and stuff like that. The system is really built to help you get in, get out and get back to what it is that you want to be doing. If you're listening to this and not yet using FreshBooks, now's the time to try it. They're offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade. And when they ask how you heard about the show, tell them on upgrade. So it's freshbooks.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, it is time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions, and a lot of these are thank you. Oh, that was a lot of lasers. Stereo lasers. Guest lasers. The guest lasers get a bit wild. Uh, these are mostly Macintosh focused questions because that was what I asked for on Twitter, and the upgradians obliged. And I'll start with Eogan, who asks, "How do you set up a new Mac? Do you have a script to install all of your programs to set it up just right, or do you do it manually? What do you do?" I use Migration Assistant, and I have for a really really long time you just plug it in with a thunderbolt cable or in the old days a firewire cable and a bunch of adapters and i let it do its thing and it's been super reliable for me for as long as i can remember yeah i use migration assistant if i'm setting up a new mac from an existing mac uh, occasionally i am setting up a new mac and i decide i don't want to migrate because it's like a review unit or it's a new computer that i'm going to end up giving to a family member or something like that and then i just do it the old-fashioned way which is every time i hit something and think oh i need i go and install that so it's like i need one password so that i can find all my serial numbers so that then i can enter in the serial numbers for the software i bought and it just kind of snowballs and I do it that way. Uh, but yeah, I, I have a couple of computers that if you looked in the preferences 
because you would probably find files from more than a decade ago because they've just yep. migrated <laughs> over the years. Yeah, same. Rick asks, using an i5, I'm using an i5 uh, Mac Mini with 8 gigabytes of RAM as my primary machine since December for development. What size kit should I get from iFixit to upgrade the memory? How hard was is the memory to upgrade? Is there anything that I need to be watching out for? I think I glance at the pricing, and I think the 32 gig is kind of the sweet spot price-wise. If, look, if you've gotten by with 8 for 9 months, 10 months... <laughs> You don't need 64, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to do what you need to do. The upgrade itself isn't too bad. You watch the videos, but this is something that if you're at all uncomfortable with completely taking apart a computer, just take it to the Apple Store and, it, and pay the, the fee. It's because not just, like, right there. When no, you, you up, take right? the logic board out. You take the... You take the uh, blower off. You, there's a lot of yeah. really tiny connectors that even I, as someone who has done this for a long time, was nervous about breaking. You know, I know Jason and everyone else who ever opened the old style broke lots of things. Absolutely. Broke and, the infrared, broke the audio. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. New thing, the new Mac Mini has those fragile connectors too. I would really say, unless you're really comfortable, um, I would spend probably some of the money and have either an Apple store or an Apple authorized service provider do this. The hundred bucks or whatever will give you ease of mind. It'll protect your Apple Care status, and if they damage something, they're on the hook, not you. Yeah. Uh, G. Messner asks, "Any love for the Power Max Seven Thousand series? Yes. They were boring outside, <laughs> but I like how they unfolded internally. Yeah, they were awesome. I'm going to find a sh- something in the show notes so we can see they were beige, uh, baby, beige computer, mid-range, very beige, mini tower, beige. It was like a desktop." Yeah. Right. It was. And, it was uh, not uh, even a mini tower. It was a that that was in the was era where there was pizza box, desktop, and tower. Where it's the three under Macs. your screen, under your CRT. Mm-hmm. What this question is getting to though is the design of how it opened. You took the cover off, and then basically the machine folded open like a flower. Yeah. And you had access to all the components, so you could upgrade it really easily. Way easier than that Mac Mini in the previous <laughs> question. If you have one of these, upgrade the RAM yourself. Go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how much RAM can you put in a Power Stick Mac? Stick in a new SCSI drive. Do what you want. Yeah. That was yep. in an era where Apple really was trying to develop. They, they were not particularly innovative in this pre-Jobs era uh, in terms of how they looked. Like I said, this was a very beige computer. But they did try to do some things on the inside that were interesting. Um, the There was also a computer that had the whole um, CPU on a tray that you could slide out the back. I have the... Uh, Power Mac G3 All-in-One was that way, amongst others. Yeah, yeah. There was a Power Mac... There was a pizza box, I think, that had that. That had, like, a TV tuner and a bunch of other stuff, and you could slide it out the back of the computer, which is very clever. And then even the... um, You know, when they... It it led to the first blue and white Power Mac G3, but even the beige Power Mac G3 had some um, folding tricks that it could do in order for you to get it at the insides without um, having to sort of unscrew panels and things that you had to do on PCs during that era. I just had one of those pointed to me while you were talking, and now I'm looking at it, and it's really ugly. Hey. It is really ugly. It, it can ha- hear you. It has that super weird, like, spot of turquoise on it. Bondi? It's, yeah, Bondi. It's oh, very the, strange. Oh, and the, 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 uh, the beige G3? 
tarmac. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That was, that was like Johnny Ives little design flourishes that he put one little (laughs) plastic bit. It was that we saw the signs. It was like a proof of life for Johnny Ive. There was that, there was the, the molar, the power Mac G3 all in one that had the translucent plastic, right? It's next to the other one. That is an ugly computer. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't like teeth, I guess. And then finally with the blue and white G3, it was the breakthrough of like, yes, yes, we can make clear plastic blue things and stick them on a computer. And it went from there. Next question comes from Maj, who asks, which alt Mac would you like to see Mike try and use? Ooh. Ooh. I mean, I have a 20th anniversary we could fire up. I have used that, I think. I think you did use that. I think anything Mac OS 8 or earlier, right? Like, you get System 6 or 7, it's a real exciting time. The older, the better. I want to see Mike use a PowerBook... Like first generation PowerBook. Any particular reason you just want it? I just think it would be it fun because it's going to be running System Seven and it's got a trackball mm. for the pointing device. And oh, I used to, I used to have one of All those. Right. My uncle gave it to me. Yeah. Uh, CM Finley asks, uh, I have a closet full of my uncle's old Macs, like an Apple II GS, through to the iMac G5. Where is the best place to go to ensure they end up in a good home? Now, uh, let me step in front of Stephen here just to point out the Apple II GS, not a Mac. True. Okay, it's Macintosh Apple slash Apple computers. <laughs> well, actually, CM Finley, I think you'll find. <laughs> wow. It did have a Finder and a mouse. It, okay. it totally yeah. wanted to be a Mac, that's but it was weird, not a Mac. That's a weird computer. It is. I mean, uh, lots of people email me in these situations, mm-hmm. and I may take a few off your hands. You may recommend an email is sent. Yeah. You how, can, how would they email you? It's uh, Stephen at Relay.fm. Okay. With a PH, not a V. I'm not a heathen. And, uh, you know... Honestly, though, yes, please email me because I may take a few off your hands. But in your community, there will be uh, some sort of technology recycling program. And if you don't donate them to me or you can't find a place to to, to house them or if it's at the end of its life, you know, it's just in bad shape. Any old technology, please recycle it. Don't don't simply put it in the dumpster because they have bad things in them. And you want to make sure that that's handled correctly to protect our planet. Ben asks, which Mac smells the best? Max have a smell, right? I mean, the guys who made that candle think they do, but you don't agree. They do when you, especially when you open the box. Yeah, I mean, there's a smell. A, yeah, but like they don't stay that way. It's that magic factory smell. Yeah, it's the magic factory smell. Yeah, eventually, as Stephen knows from collecting old Max, eventually Max just smell like where they've been. <laughs> yeah, which can be bad. I do have an answer for the worst smelling Mac. Okay. The white iBook G3, the adhesive that held like stickers on underneath the keyboard. Uh, smelled like body odor after a while. They're really bad. That's why mine's way up there, out of the way. Some of the plastic uh, Macs of a certain era, the plastic would um, get weird and turn sometimes turn yellow and smell like body odor. Yeah, it was gross. There's one up there that doesn't look so white anymore. And finally, Brian asks, what current Apple product would you want to have an iMac-style line of whimsical design and fun colors, hard mode, not the iPhone? AirPods and colors would be fun. Yeah. I don't know. That's not really whimsical, but fun colors, I think, at the AirPods. I mean, I don't know. Like laptops, you got to carry around. You, we don't need handles on laptops anymore. I guess I guess the Mac Pro kind of is. Like, I don't think colors, but like, you know, it's a unique design. It's a very functional design. I think, honestly, though, we're just past the era in our computing evolution where 
this is going to happen beyond like electronic devices like the iPhone. So I'm going to say that all of all of y'all who stick stickers on your computers, you're just trying mm-hmm. to fill a hole that hasn't been fulfilled in a long time because Apple doesn't make computers that are fun. And so I'm thinking with my daughter going off to college and she's got her MacBook and it's, you know, it's nice and all, but like I want Apple to make a consumer laptop that has colors and and maybe has the Apple logo light up again because why why not because it's fun uh, like let's get let's have fun and and a couple different shades of of monochrome anodized aluminum and maybe if you're lucky the model you want has a gold or something like that it's like it's not it's not good enough it's not it's not fun enough so since the iphone is the obvious answer here i'm gonna go with hard mode and say consumer laptop i want those to come in colors anodizing aluminum in colors apple knows how to do it they've known how to do it since the the uh ipod mini and the ipod nano like you can do this you can make this happen um and who wouldn't want to go off to college or or whatever with their blue or red or whatever laptop with the glowing apple screen it would be great and people would want it and apple would sell more laptops bring back bring back the clamshell is what jason is saying it doesn't need to have a handle I want the Apple Pencil in different colors. The Apple Pencil will be great in a bunch of different colors. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's mine. That's my one. All right. Thank you, everybody, who sent in hashtag AskUpgrade questions today. If you would like to do that for a future episode of the show, they could be about the Mac, but they could be about anything. They were Mac today because Stephen was here. Just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, and they will go into a sheet and could be pulled out for a future episode. I think that about does it for this very special episode here, Jason. Yeah, I think so. Next week's episode will uh, be uh, recorded in person in the Snell Zone, I believe. Mm-hmm. It will indeed. Uh, thank you so much to ExpressVPN, Bombas, and FreshBooks for the support of this show. And Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me in my own studio. That's an interesting phrase. Stephen is the host of many shows here on Relay FM, including Mac Power Users Connected, Liftoff, Space, and Ungenius. Is that all of them? Yep, just four. There we go. Did it in one. Look at me. Uh, you can find Jason online. He is at sixcolors.com. Uh, he is at Snow on Twitter. Stephen is at ISMH. And I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And me and Jason will be back next week, but we're all going to be live on stage in San Francisco on Thursday. If you want to check that episode out, it's going to be going out in the connected feed probably on Friday. Uh, so that's going to be a real fun time. We've got some, some exciting stuff planned. So uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye, y'all.